ATIK Radio Community, today's episode is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Because taking care of your mental health is just as important as hitting the gym. Starting therapy can be challenging and that's why BetterHelp is here to make it easier for you. Whether you prefer phone calls, video chats or messaging, BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist tailored to your comfort. With over 30,000 therapists in their network, you'll have access to a diverse range of expertise. Right at your fingertips, just fill out a quick questionnaire, and in most cases, you'll be matched with your therapist within 48 hours. And what's great? Well, you can schedule sessions at your convenience, and if your first match doesn't feel quite right, no worries. Switch to a new therapist and no additional cost. Join the 4 million people who've taken a step towards a healthier, happier life with BetterHelp. Visit www.betterhelp.com slash TIK Radio. And as a special offer for our TIK Radio listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month of therapy. Remember, your mental well-being matters. Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting TIK Radio and Mental Matter on TIK Radio. Hello? Hello? Monica Susana. Welcome to Global Perspectives on Autism. I'm your host, Monica Susana, and today's episode promises a unique insight into the global dimensions of autism. According to the CDC, autism impacts 1 in 44 children in the United States. Globally, the World Health Organization reports that autism affects around 1% of the world's population approximately 78 million people. Autism does not discriminate. It transcends cultures, countries, and socioeconomic classes. In today's episode, we emphasize the importance of the international collaboration, knowledge sharing, understanding, and inclusive support for individuals with autism across the globe. But truly, to understand the global landscape of autism support, we have a special guest today, and is Dr. Ira Paul Hyovel, a distinguished psychologist and autism professional with a remarkable background in psychology, education, and entrepreneurship. In the late 80s, he founded a company that provided behavioral intervention to children on the autism spectrum and grew that company to one of the largest behavioral intervention companies in the world. As one of the first providers in the field, he played a fundamental role in shaping the landscape of behavioral intervention. Along the way, Dr. Heilvale also founded the International Child Development Center in Armenia, which continue to exist today. His work in Armenia and other countries earned him the Humanitarian of the Year Award from the California Psychological Association in 2013. 
Dr. Heilville's professional pursuit extended beyond the academic realm. A few years ago, he created and produced a multiple award-winning documentary, Autism in Love, which was nominated for an Emmy Award. Currently serving as an assistant clinical professor of the psychiatry at Jeffen UCLA Medical School, as well as president of the Hyperion Behavioral Health Center, Vista Center for Behavior Analysis, and Humanitas Family Center. Dr. Hyvel combines academia with hands-on experience. His commitment to advancing behavioral health and education is evident through the organizations he has founded. A preferred speaker, Dr. Hyovel, has presented at various conferences, exploring topics such as the construct of love among adults with autism. His expertise in psychology, coupled with his specialization in behavioral therapy, short-term therapy, and autism, positions him as a leading figure in the field. In summary, Dr. Ira Hyovel's biography is a testament to his multifaceted contributions as a psychologist, educator, entrepreneur, and humanitarian, with a focus on advancing the well-being and understanding of individuals with autism. Estás escuchando? Estás escuchando? This is your host, Monica Susana, and welcome to Global Perspectives on Autism. As we embark today on a journey to explore the diverse landscapes of autism support around the world, I'm your host, Monica Susana, and today's episode promises a unique insight into the global dimensions of autism. And today we have a special guest, <laughs> Dr. Ira Paul Hyville. Doctor, thank you for being us with today with us. It's a real pleasure, but you know you're going in and out. I'm wondering if um, there's a problem. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, everything is good. Everything okay. is good. Now we okay, have um, Selda, our admin, is in the chat. She'll be answering questions in the chat, and we're honored to have you, Doctor Aya, today. A distinguished psychologist on autism specialist with the international experience and profound knowledge in behavioral therapy and autism interventions. Dr. Hyville brings a unique perspective to our discussion. And um, before we dive into our discussion, I would like to share a personal note. And I had the pleasure and the privilege to work with Dr. Ira in 2018, and I was truly impressed by the impact, the services that were provided by Touchstone Education, the commitment to families, you know, offering ABA therapy at home. That left me, you know, a lasting impression, and it served as a point of reference, showing um, how Dr. Highvale's uh, work extends beyond the borders of the U.S., making a significant impact worldwide. Thank you, Doctor. It's an honor to have you today. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's really an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Doctor, I know your extensive experience in autism support. Um, can you share some of your most memorable experience from your international work and how you know, the culture differences have influenced your approach. 
Wow, that's a big one. <laughs> it's going to be hard to, uh, it's going to be hard. You know, I'm, I'm getting pretty old. So, um, and I've been doing it for a long time. So I have a lot of stories and, um, and it's hard to choose the most memorable. I think the most memorable ones tend to be, you know, some of the fun and, and interesting things, um, I get to do when I'm traveling, um, you know, which isn't really what we're talking about, but I think, you know, just relative to this idea of um, uh, culture and 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 working in other places, mm-hmm. the, one of the things that that kind of comes to my mind when you ask me that question um, is, uh, you know, I, I was just thinking about this the other day that um, uh, as a child, I didn't have you know, the most serene family life as a child growing up. There's a lot of conflict in my family. I, I was a very shy, frightened kid. And I used to think a lot about um, about traveling. And I think for me, it was a way of getting out of thinking, fantasizing my way out of that, you know, very tumultuous family world I grew up in. And so, um, you know, so I remember thinking about traveling and wanting to travel, and wanting to get out of, you know, the little apartment I lived in. And I remember talking to my dad and we were very, um, poor. I mean, it's all relative, but we came from, I came from a very poor family. And so the idea of traveling around the world was very foreign, you know, to my family. And, um, my dad used to say, why do you, you know, why do you want to travel? Like, what's the point to it? Mm-hmm. Sort of, um, he said, people are the same all over the world, you know, and I guess, Somehow he, he, he thought that and knew that. I don't know. And, and I, I think, um, on some level, of course, he, he was right. You know, we're all, we're all humans with, with the same sort of, um, you know, core beliefs and philosophies. We all love our kids. We all, you know, create families if we, if, if that's our choice. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and and I think share the same common values. And so on some level, of course, he was completely right. But on another level, I think he was also very wrong. You know, <laughs> in that that and that's when that's where the whole idea of culture comes up, you know, which is um you, you know, the the difference is really bet- between us as groups of people, um, whether that group is defined by ethnicity or or, or national boundaries or However, we define that, that, that sort of way that we kind of affiliate ourselves. But, you know, when you talk about culture, and I obviously, after all these years, I think about culture quite a bit. And, and, and nowadays, in, at least in, in the U.S., there's a big emphasis on, on multiculturalism and understanding the clients we work with from their own unique cultural perspectives. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so many of the certifying bodies are now requiring, you know, studying multiculturalism and, and understanding different cultures. Cause even within the United States, for example, where I am, you know, there are many, many, many different cultures within the U.S. We, we right. really are, mm-hmm. we really are kind of a melting pot. Although I don't think we melt enough, but we are definitely a pot of different cultures, you know, so in, in, you know, what, what I have kind of taken away is that there's a lot of different ways of understanding culture. And, and one of the easiest, simplest, most straightforward ways 
that I found, which I found very approachable. It's, it's just simply a way of life, how we live. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, when you think about that, as you go around the world, you know, I, I mean, I want to, as an aside, you know, one of the saddest things is that I think as a, as, as, as a planet, um, we are to a large extent becoming homogenized. Um, and, and I think that, that on some level is um, understandable. On some level, it's sad mm-hmm. too, because I think many, many places, yeah, many places around the world are really kind of losing some of our cultural differences, which, which are, are kind of make us unique and, and, and make us, you know, um, oh, I don't know. It's something that I, that I worry about losing. But but so anyway, I'm being long-winded. That's my tendency, and I apologize. No, for that. that's great. But, that's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think we've got time. So yes. I, you know, I think I think good. So so look, I think in terms of um, the question about culture mm-hmm. um, and and different experiences that I've had. I mean, there's so many. But if you think about culture simply as a way of life, um, uh, I, I think that. Um, this is this is just the entire exposure to uh, different cultures and different understandings of things um, it is is what really um, broadens us as humans okay. you know to sort of understand that hey you know on some level we like my dad said on some level we we all do share the same core values um, but are, but but often you know there's such large differences in how we live um, around the world um, that makes life very interesting and it makes working with you know the the population that I work with primarily the aut- autism population mm-hmm. um, it it makes it much much more interesting um, <clears throat> and so, you know, so so I could go on and on about specific things that that have appealed to me culturally, um, uh, as or stand out as sort of unique. I'll just mention one because it's 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 so dramatic, mm-hmm. um, and and I I wonder a little bit about the appropriateness, but I'll 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 share it. Okay. I, I don't know what the rating I don't know what the rating of the podcast is, but um, you know. Uh, my my international experience is limited you know I, I to essentially primarily working in armenia which i've been doing for almost two decades now um and um also vietnam which i've been doing so so it's mostly the caucasus region which is armenia and it, the surrounding countries in the caucasus area mm-hmm. um which is very much a post soviet um kind of a, a cultural experience, um, as well as sort of a, a deep, rich Armenian um, uh, cultural experience, which goes back um, to the beginning of humanity, practically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's one of the oldest kingdoms in the world. Um, and, um, and Vietnam, where I've only been working for about, no, I don't know, maybe almost 10 years now, um, and in each place is a slightly different capacity, but th- th- that's my biggest sort of international experience. Because of my interest in international, uh, you know, work, I, I also 
keep in touch with people in different countries in Europe and, and around the world. Uh, but uh, that's been primarily my experiences. As, as you may know, I also, for a brief time, had an agency in, in Mexico. Yes. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't have the depth of experience that my colleagues in Mexico have. Uh, in Mexico. So, um, so, um, you know, I, I, when I, I first arrived to Armenia, and I think a, a, a lot of this is, um, is more relevant to, uh, the kind of work that I do, which is primarily ABA or applied behavior analysis. Correct. Um, and, um, and the differences from one culture, one region to another in accepting that modality as a modality for intervening. Um, and, and that varies widely across the, the world. And, um, and what we have dealt with in the ABA field, uh, it's complex, but one of the things that we've developed from the very beginning, from the very beginning of behaviorism, um, uh, which kind of developed concurrently with, uh, Freudian psychology and psychodynamic psychology, kind of alongside of that. And if you really understand the history of behaviorism, you know, it's sort of embedded in this um, almost competitive quality with, with psychodynamic mm-hmm. thinking, which is unfortunate, but that's sort of the history of it. But it, it often leads to very different approaches to things. And, um, so back about 20 years ago when I was starting my work in Armenia, um, I had opened a clinic there and we were trying to get clients to come to the clinic mm-hmm. and we, we had a, parents come, um, parents of kids on the spectrum, very, very, uh, uh, different levels, but mostly fairly severely, um, involved, uh-huh. uh, on the spectrum, um, because those are the kids who are really identified as not having a place in, in the, in the society, mm-hmm. in the culture. And, um, and, you know, they have what they call psychologists in, in Armenia and have, of course, for many, many years. And, but the psychologists there, as was true almost everywhere outside of the United States, were primarily psychodynamically oriented. Um, in which they saw behavior as metaphorical and as representing, you know, sort of developmental challenges that were um, emotional um, challenges. And um, so we had one parent approach us asking us about what ABA was, mm-hmm. and she was very angry about it as you know, we encounter that kind of anger all over the world. Um, and very judgmental and, you know, you're going to harm my child and all of that. And we, as we got to know the parent, we were uh, got getting to know the child. It, child, her child was at that time, I think about twelve years old, mm-hmm. and um, and fairly nonverbal, um, and um, but was being treated by a local psychologist. And we were talking about, well, what are you know what what are some of the challenges that your child is is struggling with. And the parents said, well, one of the things that, you know, the kid, my child does is he, they live in, they live in an apartment building, which is maybe hard to visualize if you don't know Soviet style apartments, (laughs) but there's, there, there's, you know, there's, 
there's a hallway, like many apartment buildings, and the child would stand outside in the hallway, which is a public space, and, you know, take down his pants and masturbate in public. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would say, you know, so so what are you doing about that? You know, And, well, the psychologist said that we should let him do it and encourage that because he's proving that he's a man, you know. And um, he needs to prove that he's a man. And um, this is was sort of like, well, okay, you know, that's okay with you, right? But uh, I didn't think it was probably the best way to handle that situation. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so, you know, the difference in approach was rather extreme, you know, because, and by the way, we ended up eventually working with that child for many years. And um, I would say... Uh, hopefully I would say helping that child a whole lot more than he had been helped before. That's amazing. But the, but it's sort of accepting this approach that, you know, um, that we also need to think about how a person will get along in society. Right. Um, and that that's not really going to work. <laughs> you know, you can't do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's not okay. You know, um, or for example, teaching social skills, which is very controversial these days. Everything we do seems to be controversial, even in the US. <laughs> you know, where, where we want to say, you know, we want to say, look, look, we, you know, there is a value to, um, being, uh, socially competent in society. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, here we, we bump up against the whole neurodiversity movement and, and, and that whole thing, which is complex, complicated, I think. But so, so now was that cultural? Not in in the sense that that the extent to which a particular um, country or or whatever you want to call it, nationality or however you want to you know carve up the labels, um, has to do with embracing behaviorism and and the extent to which that's accepted as a modality. Um, and, 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 and the cultural implications of that. So, um, so, uh, for me, a a really good example, uh, a very simple and straightforward example of where cultures clash, um, in, in, in ABA, um, uh, is, is occurred, you know, you talk about sort of learning and, and I kind of, I kind of knew this, but I, I think it was sort of resting in the background of my mind until it sort of came to fruition very clearly um, in Vietnam, um, where we had some uh, American-trained or Western-trained uh, behavior interventionists uh, doing a year of working in, in, at an agency in Vietnam doing ABA. And I think, I think for me, this is one of the most fundamental cultural, uh, differences that, that I, I feel strongly about and that I am encountering more and more. And, and that is understanding the, the, the depth of, um, differences that exist based on Western um, I might 
say pseudoscientific, but uh, maybe a better word is quasi-scientific approach mm -hmm. to intervention. Um, and how embedded that approach is in a very Western um, culture of which, which actually supports this idea of independence. So that in the U.S., for example, and I use that as the prime example because really that's where ABA developed. Um, in, in the U.S., for example, oh, I have a, an example of this where, where I'm, I'm working now with a company in the U.S. Uh -huh. um, where they, you know, companies have their name and then they have a tagline um, under their name, sort of what their little motto is, you know. And this company's motto, which I thought is fascinating on some level because they all thought it was great, their motto was, it was the name of the company, which I won't mention, um, and their motto is empower, <coughs> excuse me, empowering independent lives. That's their motto, okay. empowering independent lives. Okay. And, you know, everybody's happy with that. That sounds, sounded fine, right? Mm -hmm. Because we want our kids to be independent. Well, guess what? <laughs> Not everybody wants their child to be independent. Wow. And, mm -hmm. and, and what you see around the world, um, and, and I think even more so as we under, as our kids grow up, is not all of our kids are going to be independent ever. Um, and maybe that's okay. And besides which, is that really, when you think about it, what we want? Mm -hmm. And, and when, when you ask, which I, I've done uh, quite a bit. When you ask a parent of a child who's um, been diagnosed as being on the spectrum, mm -hmm. when you ask that parent what they want for their child, you know what? For the most part, they don't say, I want my child to be independent. Hmm. They almost say the, they almost say the opposite. What they say, most often, when you ask that question, is, I want my child to grow up and have a meaningful relationship with another person. Um, someone who loves them, someone who they can love, and someone who could potentially even take care of them, mm -hmm. um, which is the opposite of being independent. It's being dependent. Correct. Because when we're in a relationship, we're dependent on people. That's what a relationship means. Um, so, so what is this emphasis on independence? And why is it so important? Well, because that's the American culture. It's, you know, go out to the West and, you know, strike out on your own. You know, the, the family I grew up in, the expectation was that when you were 18 years old, you were basically kicked out of the house. Um, and, you know, I, I actually thought that was great because I didn't want to be in the house when I was 18, <laughs> but, you know, um, right. But, but, um, but is that what we want? So where that came to fruition, I thought was really interesting. A, a really simple example of that was in Vietnam. Um, 
the people who we had from the U.S. were doing what they did in the U.S., of course, uh-huh. because that's how they were trained. And one of the things that almost every ABA program does, um, they all follow pretty much a curriculum. And the curriculum is essentially what we think kids need to do to be independent on some level. And that one of those things is, you know, getting dressed and putting on their clothes and, and eating with forks and knives mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or chopsticks or whatever you eat with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and that's sort of a no brainer, but, but what happens when you're in Vietnam and you're teaching a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old to eat with a, a spoon, which is what you do in, in you know, in, 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 in Vietnam even, you, you know, so, so, so you're teaching the child to use the spoon and to, to drink the soup with the spoon, right? Um, but guess what? This is a, this is a culture like many cultures around the world, very different from the U.S. The sensitivity, right? It, mm-hmm. Well, what what's what's different is the multi generational aspect of life, mm-hmm. right? Where there is a value placed not on independence, but on dependence on your elders and respect for your elders, the, the grandparents, and elder, the grandparents. That's yes. right, abuelo, abuelo right? right? So mm-hmm. abuelo, so. What you have in, 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 in the Asian culture in particular, you have it in, in Latin culture as well. Um, you have it in many cultures, but in Asian culture, it's very much embedded. It's very deeply ingrained in the culture. You know, when you get married, you live in usually your, your husband's family, um, and, and the parents, and grandparents play a pivotal role in 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 bringing up children, and and guess who feeds? Guess who feeds the three year old and the four year old and the two year old and the five year old? Grandpa, mm-hmm, grandma, mm-hmm. usually grandma, right? Mm-hmm. So so you have the ABA therapist coming over to the home and taking the spoon away from grandma, right? <laughs> and say, well, guess what? You don't take the spoon away from grandma. That's grandma's job, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And, 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 and what you're going to get is one angry grandma, right? And it's like, well, why is it so important that this child, you know, feeds himself? You know, that's my job. That's grandma's job. And, and, and what it is, you're sort of inculcating this, this cultural value mm-hmm. of, uh, of the role of the grandparents, which is, which is part of the, part of the whole idea of respect and honoring and even worshiping, by the way, your right. grandparents mm-hmm. and ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's entirely absent from, um, well, and I would say entirely. But it's 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 fairly absent from Western uh, Western culture, at least in the U.S. Uh, unfortunately, or, or for better or worse, but but it is. So you have you have this intervention of of uh, fostering independence that is sort of a part of 
you know, uh, of standard, standard ABA, in, uh, you know, intervening, that really doesn't work um, and doesn't really respect and honor, um, you know, uh, in this example, an Asian kind of cultural uh, view of the world. So anyway, I don't know if I'm really no, yeah, <laughs> I'm totally, yeah. Maybe. It's it, because it's so you know, it, there's no one size fits all solution, you know. But it's it's understanding because right. it, it seems more of a being adaptable, you know, and open to this diverse right. approaches, you know, for the outcome, which is at the end of the day, you know, the result of the ABA therapy in every, you know, different. Like in Mexico, is the same thing in our cultures. Almost mm-hmm. the same, you know, and it, and, right. and it's very important how the extended family support, you know, and, and it's part of our integration. Right. It's always, you know, since, since we were babies and until now, even, even in the, you know, in the traditions and the, and the reunions and then approve, there's so many yes. you know, aspects that, it, and it's, we have to be aware yeah. of it because it, it it's going to make a significant impact if you if you're aware right. of it, you know, instead of um, oh. approaching it. Yes, and <laughs> yeah, and I love that. I love that because you're reminding me of another thing when you say that. Because I have not been as immersed in 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 um, in Mexican culture or in in Latin culture as I have. But, but I, you know, I, I kind of, since high school grew up in, in, in Southern California mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, my, my, uh, let's say my first, I, I, my first girlfriend, I try not to remember, but my second one, <laughs> I do, I do. She, 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 I, I won't tell, I won't reveal her last name. I still love her. Of course, her name was Ro- Rosamina. Rosamina. So, um, Rosamina and, and she, and, and we were together for two years and it was wonderful. Um, but her her mother came from Tijuana, and um, anyway, so so I, I have some familiarity with the culture, um, and and you know I, I speak Spanish very poorly, um, but but uh, what I was going to say is that there's also cultural differences in the role of the interventionist, of the doctor, of the of the healer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they are seen very differently, you know. So, you know, in my experience in, in, in Southeast Asia, the doctor, um, th- there was, um, a, a very deep respect and involvement often of, uh, we might call it an indigenous kind of a doctor, uh, uh, you know, there's different terms, right? It's like in, 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 um, in Hispanic culture, sometimes we might call them, like a bruja or somebody like that. So, um, so there's an indigenous kind of a healer, right? Um, and, and, um, and throughout the world in different ways, there is that, but, but, you know, one of the differences that I've been very well aware of from the very beginning of my work, um, you know, uh, has to do with how we understand our role as providers of services to families. And, um, in, in the U S there is, um, and, and I think this is sad actually. And I, you know, this is where I, I sort of yearn to be in other cultures. Um, 
there is sort of a sense that uh, there needs to be a boundary. Um, and I, I hate that word, but that's the word that's often used here in the U.S. between the provider and the family. Um, a certain level of what the, what is considered professionalism, kind of a professional distance, um, and 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 one is not to mix that with with family life or pleasure or that sort of thing. And so, you know, uh, the first if you if you take someone who's not familiar, for example, with uh, Central or South American culture mm-hmm. and and um and the family says you know um my daughter's got her quinceanera coming up and we'd love you to be there you know um the uh, the um <laughs> uh, i was going to use a rude term for for a, 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 an american but um the, the I, i'm trying to think of a nice way of saying it but the western american you know interventionist We'll say no, thank you politely, um, because that's a family thing, and you know I need to be professional and I need to stay in my role, you know, and 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 of course, um, you know that that's the wrong answer, right? The right answer is you go to the quinceanera and you have a good time, right. you know, <laughs> and you celebrate because because you're part of the family, uh-huh. you um, and and you become part of the family and you're welcome to be part of the family. That's a very, very, very different kind of cultural experience. And they put you in a level makes, that is so much respect, you know, because you exactly. yes, it's it's above Exactly. And, and 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 unfortunately, you know, um the white Anglo Saxon Protestant culture does not often understand that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> And by the way, another and they put you into your pray into their prayers too, you know, because we know that God is going to protect because it's praying for the family, he's praying for the doctor too, because the doctor. That's right. That's exactly right. No, no, and and that's important for people to understand. Yes. And you're bringing up also another really important piece, which is the spiritual component. Correct. And, And 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 that's often neglected. Um. Yes, yes. And, and another simple example, just a very simple example, like, like the quinceanera, uh, in, in an, in, in an Asian culture. And this is something I, I went through when I, uh, had this, uh, ABA agency that I ran for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a policy and actually this has been controversial, um, in the field, which is kind of ridiculous, but it's, it's an example of how so many people don't understand the depth of other cultures and and the importance of certain traditions within cultures and and that is um we had a policy at my company and it's a, it's a common policy mm-hmm. um uh that uh therapists do not accept and cannot are not allowed to accept gifts from from families um, it was considered a conflict and it was problematic and, and it, and it, and it became problematic. Um, I'll, you know, because it would happen anyway, regardless of the policy, a parents would give gifts to the therapists and then therapists would want to work with the families that gave the best gifts. Right? Um, and so that, that became, that became a problem, but, but it was considered a conflict. It was considered, and I hate this 
this word because it's the one of the most misunderstood words of all, but you hear it all the time is unethical. It was considered to be unethical. Mm -hmm. Well, when you refuse a gift from an Asian family, you are deeply insulting them. It is, a, it, it is offensive. Um, gift giving in a most Asian cultures is more than a tradition. It, it's, it's a, it's an, it's a very, very, when you meet somebody new, complete stranger for the first time, it's traditional in most Asian cultures to bring a gift. Mm -hmm. It's the gift exchange is a very key part of, of the culture. Um, and so the damage that was done by refusing to take gifts was so big that we had to essentially reverse that policy. Just we get, got rid of that policy. Um, this was back when I was working um, in Orange County in Southern California, uh -huh. where there was a large Asian population. Um, and so um, even small things, there's a lot of small things like that that differ from culture to culture. Um, that can become big if you're not conscious of them. Taking your shoes off when you enter a, a house. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in Vietnam, I had my hand slapped almost because uh, I was at a meeting and I made the mistake of, uh, you know, everybody brings their uh, business cards. Uh, you know, they're pretty much disappearing in the U.S., but um, it's a tradition all over the world still that you have a, a business card that that you bring to your meeting and you exchange business cards um, with people. But I made the mistake of taking a business card out of my pocket and handing it over with my right hand uh, to someone at the meeting. And my hand was almost slapped. Mm -hmm. Literally it was grabbed and pulled back wow. by the, by the bot, my boss at the time who was a Westerner himself, but he was, had been living in Vietnam and knew the culture. You never give your card to somebody with one hand. Um, you, you use two hands. And if you're standing, you bow, you bow slightly. Uh, it's rude to use one hand. So, um, you know, this is, um, these are subtle. These are small, but they're important. They are. Mm -hmm. They're important to learn. Yeah. So, the same thing that you know, Latin America, they give you food, right? They always want to yes, eat that's this. Right. Do you want to eat that? Oh my god, that's right. Oh yeah, I, and you know, I, I'm still very involved in 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 my work here, uh, even though I'm getting up there in years. And um, you know, and the food thing, yeah, that's huge, also, right? <laughs> Especially in Armenia, you come to a family, and there is a spread of food that appears magically. Mm -hmm. And if you don't eat, it's rude. Yes, it is rude. You know, yeah. and 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 even if you don't like the food, you better eat it. You know? Right. Um, so um, and anyway, oh yeah, and another story. I'll just share this yeah. one because mm -hmm. it's fun. This this is a fun one. Um, so you know, um, the work I, I've I've done in Armenia over the years. Actually, I didn't even think about this till just now, but it stands out as kind of unique, um, was, um, oh, this is fun telling a story. Um, so, uh, we work, you know, in school settings too, uh -huh. obviously sort of in so-called inclusion settings. 
Um, and so, uh, I would go and, you know, it's polite to, you always want to meet the principal or the director of the school. I think, and it's, they're more called directors in Armenia than principals, but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and, and so you got to meet the director and, and, and so I was meeting the director of this one school and, um, and I, I would often, I don't speak the language, so I'd often, I'd always go with, uh, pe- people who do, mm-hmm. who act as translators and, and, and also people who, you know, know the work. And, um, and, uh, so I, I went to this principal's office once and, um, and the first thing that, he does. Uh, this is, I think, during this is early afternoon. School was in session, um, and the first thing he does is he opens the drawer, his desk drawer. Mm-hmm. And you know, do you know the rest of the story? No, I can't even. <laughs> you you're not guessing. All right, I thought you'd guess by now. Um, no, so he opens the desk drawer, uh-huh. pulls out the bottle, and says, and says. Um, I, I made this, um, you know, and, and it's, I don't know, I don't remember the Armenian word for it, uh, cause it's been a while now, but it's basically what in the U.S. we'd call moonshine, you know, it's sort of, <laughs> it was like whiskey essentially, or, um, and it was, and, and, and it was traditional, just like giving gifts. You meet the principal, they pull out the, the, the whiskey in the middle of the day and, and, uh, and you drink. You drink. Um, uh, and now interestingly, the two people I was with at the time, they, they were Armenian. They, they declined. So they, they were able to decline, but I had to accept. You know? So, uh, I, I don't, I don't actually even drink hardly ever, you know, so, uh, it was bizarre, but it was bizarre in the middle of the day while school was in session, you know, let's all just have a drink. But it was, that was again a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. And when I acted surprised, I learned that no, that was standard standard procedure. So, but yeah, there's so important, you know, challenges in, in many regions because uh, you know, and sometimes you're dealing with the, you know, the understanding the culture, but at the same time, you know, how you're making it crucial to address this awareness, you know, as part of your intervention, you know, the strategies and, and what you're going to do. But of course you need to open that, you know, the first, <laughs> you know, the first, uh, <laughs> understanding of the, of the culture, you know, and the, in, in, in my country, like sometimes religion, you know, it's, um, yeah. it's an issue. Cause I, I remember going uh, down Oaxaca in when the earthquake mm-hmm. happened 2017 and there were so many kids that were not even um, diagnosed, but there were, for the family members, it was a curse from God, you know, oh, to have a, a oh, child, yeah. you know. And for me, it was un- I could see the behavior, and I, could, I was able to see, you know, there's some very, um, you know, very hard behaviors that for me was understanding it was there were some you know in the spectrum but you know without diagnose but for them it was more of a no it's a curse and we are not and we're going to accept that curse but we're going to keep it inside the house you know for me that was we're going to keep it inside the house yeah that's brilliant yeah no uh, that's been my experience um (laughs) both in armenia and in vietnam uh, it, it is, it is considered a mm-hmm. curse. 
Um, now, now I, I have to say that that has been changing. Um, uh, there's been an enormous shift in the last 20 years or mm-hmm. so, um, where as knowledge spreads of these sorts of things, um, you know, through the internet and, 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 uh, in general through, you know, education, um, there's a, there's a diff- different understanding. But when I first started going to Armenia, uh, that was certainly the case. And I'm familiar even in Vietnam, that was definitely the case. And, and there's still a large percentage of the population where that was, where that was true. When I first went to Armenia, um, the, the thing I was so impressed by, uh, and I, I'm saying impressed in, in a negative way, mm-hmm. um, was, and it was really to, to a large extent, had to do with my motivation for wanting to be there was, was that kids who we would be diagnosing and treating in the U S were basically sent to orphanages or, um, hidden, um, hidden by sending them out to remote Mm -hmm. villages where there might be a relative who could sort of hide them away. Um, so there was shame attached to this curse, you yes, know. Exactly. Um, and right, so so it wasn't just a curse from God, but if it was a curse from God, then you must have done something bad to deserve this, mm-hmm. right? Um, in order for the, the for for God and for the world to make sense, um, so you didn't want that to be exposed. And, you know, of course, as a result of doing that, then there's also shame on almost a cultural or national level, which is, uh, oh, we don't have, you know, we don't have kids with autism. We don't have people like that. You know, we don't have any, this is common. I remember that one of the Russian, uh, it was before Putin, but one of the Russian, the you culture know, attitude, yeah, the, you, the worst, it, yeah. We, we don't, we don't have any homosexuals in this right. country. You know, they don't exist. The yeah. They, right. So, so, um, the stigma becomes almost nationalized mm-hmm. and, and, and hidden. Um, but again, at least in the places where I go, uh, Fortunately, that's become less and less, you know, that, that's decreased, uh, considerably. So when I first started going to Armenia, there was one place that served kids with ABA through, um, through a center and, and, and they, they served four kids, uh, like doing services maybe uh, once a week for two hours uh, for four kids for the entire country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so because kids were not identified because they didn't know about this kind of intervention, they had somebody come from Germany, I believe once a year to train the staff, but it was, um, you know, four kids, out of, you know, three million. Um, so, uh, so it was essentially non-existent. 
And now, uh, in Armenia, in the capital, there are more than, probably more than 20 agencies providing services Amazing. to kids on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's changed dramatically. And, um, and it's an ongoing process, you know, because building this awareness is not, you know, it's, it's, it's one part of it is acceptance with right. the, you know, the each cultural context, but at the same time, you know, it's, um, it's their, their attitude towards it, you know, and I think, um, Mexico has the same, the same, um, growth, I think, from 20 yeah. years ago as of now. Yes. I do yeah. feel that there's needed, uh, in Mexico, for example, I don't know, the U- United States has more of a, um, the association, right? It's, it's, it's like regulated by, by a federation, you know, or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. but Mexico doesn't have it. They don't have it. So I think it's needed. And, um, you know, well, I'm, I'm praising for that. I've been working on a project to promote that, but I'm just waiting for government, you know, to approve it. But, um, I think it has to right. be regulated so, yeah. in some point. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, and, and that's a challenge that we have throughout the world, mm-hmm. actually. The, 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 there are, there are regulatory, uh, well, they're not actually regulatory, but there are, um, associations or federations as, as they're called in translation, um, that do serve, um, other countries, uh, well. But unfortunately, they're not, um, yet, uh, saturated within those cultures. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I think that's a problem that needs to be addressed. And I think, but, the, but I think the biggest problem we have is that, um, governments throughout the world, um, you know, by virtue of, of, economics essentially don't really want to recognize the need for services because in recognizing the need for services and in recognizing, for example, the licensure of professionals, Mm -hmm. um, they see that there is an association between that and the need and the request for government funding. Right. And, um, and as a result of that, when you go to a minister's office, for example, I, by minister, I mean a, a cabinet minister or a, a governmental mm-hmm. office. Um, they're usually called ministries in most countries other than outside the U.S. Um, the minister of education, the minister of health, and you try to uh, promote the idea of certification or licensure. Um, they're going to tie that in with how much money do you want mm-hmm. from us? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, um, and parents are going to want money to help their kids in schools, like in the United States, where we have federal laws, which require, um, schools to pay for services. Um, most countries don't exactly. have that. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a huge and so, so they're going to put, they're going to, especially, you know, also, yeah. if, if we go back to the roots, you know, the early diagnose, that's going to, it's going to, you know, it's a domino effect. If you have an early diagnose, um, even the system or the way you're, you're diagnosing the early, on the early stage, you know, you're going to be able to follow that, you know, that 
that path. But in, in Mexico, in my country, you know, we don't have that. It's very, um, you know, I'm also going towards, you know, have a early diagnose centers, you know, that way, because it's going to be, for me, I see it that it, at some point, the early diagnose is going to be kind of a connected with the, with the centers and the centers are going to be connected with the, with the, you know, the teachers. And then at some point that could be regulated and is forcing everyone to act in the same, you know, in the same, uh, wave, you know, in the same direction, which in the United States, you already have um, so many, you know, so many resources. Yes, although I, I have to say, um, it, it, it's a challenge, mm-hmm. uh, even in the United States, it's a different kind of challenge. The subtleties are different, but uh, it, it, it's very, very problematic. Okay. Uh, in the U.S., uh, as it is, uh, the, the U.S. healthcare system is a disaster, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, in my view. Um, and, uh, and even, even throughout the world, even in, in, uh, first world countries in Europe, for example, um, every country that I've been, uh, involved in and, to different degrees. Um, sometimes the involvement is just spending an hour talking to someone who provides services and getting to know a little bit about their funding structure. I did study, I did go to Germany for a while and study their system, which is w- one of the best in the world, but still problematic. Um, you know, uh, it's sad, but I think you know, this is a worldwide problem, which is, you know, um, the values that are placed on taking care of people uh, seem to 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 not necessarily be in the right place. But I think I think those of us in the, in the so-called helping professions have struggled mm-hmm. with that our, our entire careers. You know, how do we get paid <coughs> paid for what we do? <coughs> and I think. Um... If we look at it, you know, the families, I think that's why it's so important in in the way I see it, because sometimes in Mexico, they might not have access to um, the services, but uh, it's it's important how this nonprofit um, associations, you know, or, you know, these centers that are working with developing kind of a personalized uh, um, innovation for families, and they start with small communities, you know. Uh, and that's how, you know, they're, they're involving everyone, you know, planning and, you know, cause they, there's also, you know, limited access for, um, health, um, systems in Mexico. And uh, I think if we look at in a, in a, hmm, in a global perspective, I think it's, um, it's important to start building your own support system, you know, in a way. And that's what, what I did, you know, when I came to Mexico, I was, I had no insurance in the United States, um, cause I was going through the Navy and I got a divorce. So I mm. came to Mexico mm-hmm. and I started building my own, you know, support system as, you know, getting the, the, the neurologist <laughs> and getting the ABA therapy, you know, and understanding what the importance yeah. of, a, and finding a school that could do kind of a, um, 
setting up ABA in school and then finding it, but it was kind of a, it was a long process. It was not done, but because I was able to, you know, research, I was say I'm bilingual, but not all the people have, you know, this opportunity being bilingual or so there, you know, that's why right. I think this, um, the, the small centers in Mexico are helping the families now. And I, I've seen a lot of change, like you said, you know, from probably 2010 as of today, I see many changes mm. in the, yeah, in the, um, how the, the support system, you know. Yeah, I think the internet has helped, mm-hmm. um, in some ways, just, just because, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the facts, the facts sometimes seep through, you know, um, and, and rise above all the fake stuff, um, hopefully, sometimes. <laughs> and so we see that, you know, this is not a, a matter of being possessed by the devil or it's not a matter of being cursed. It's a neurological, developmental, um, uh, disorder is even, uh, I'm not even fond of that word, difference, perhaps, um, that, um, th- th- that we have tools to help people with. And, and so, um, I, I'm, I'm glad for that. Mostly I can't stand the internet, but, um, <laughs> it is, it, it is, it is good for that. It is good for that. Yes, and the access, you know, sometimes it's, well, in Mexico, there's so many, um, non-profit in different states and they have this, but it's very interesting because some areas have, and some areas have no access to it. So they have to travel far away from one region to another That's region, right. you know, to access yes. the, yeah, the consistent very, resources, yeah. you know. Very familiar, very familiar yeah. with that. Very familiar with that. Um, yeah. Mexico is a very big country with very few, uh, very limited uh, interventionists. You know, and yeah, and you know, developing this sustainable support, the systems, you know, it, it, it it's very important. I think it's one of the, and I think government, Mexican government, this year they have a little bit of, um, I think, priority on this, um, but I don't know how how soon they're going to be able to implement it. You know. Yeah. And do you think that early diagnose um has a a huge impact in your experience within, you know, all the countries that you've been working? Oh yeah, I think that's undisputable. I think I think that um it's it's like everything else. Uh it's it's very complicated. Um because uh Early diagnosis, which is arguably the secret to success, mm-hmm. um, is, is not as easy as, as we would like it to be. And I think what we run up against is the fact that, um, while close to a hundred percent of the lower functioning uh, kids with autism can be identified, at an early age, um, it's one of those things that doesn't work backwards. Meaning that you can perhaps you can diagnose one hundred percent of those kids at eighteen months, or even earlier, twelve months. Um, 
The problem is that while you can diagnose a hundred percent of those kids, not a, not necessarily a large percentage of those of people who look like they might be um, diagnosable do turn out to have autism. So what you have in reverse is that you have a lot of kids who may present with those symptoms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you get you get what we would call false positives Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and experienced pediatricians know that so what happens is that when we try to tell a pediatrician um look this kid meets all the criteria they really need services we really need to get them services which is what we do we're trying to get them to do because we know that early intervention is this is the secret um when we tell that to a pediatrician, the pediatrician says, well, you know what? I've seen a lot of kids like this and they end up being fine without intervention. And the problem is that that's true. So while, so, so we can identify kids, Mm -hmm. but, but there's a lot of false positives. And so it's hard to convince pediatricians to go ahead and make the diagnosis because especially since we're talking about cultural differences, mm-hmm. um, there are, um, it, it's not fun for a parent to hear that word, autism. And, um, and it's associated with a lot of, you know, what, what you identified as stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so as a result of that, pediatricians don't want to do it. Um, and, and so that's a battle. That's a battle that we have. What we try to tell people, and what's important to understand, is that even if we misdiagnose, even if we get it wrong, the stuff that we do helps everybody. You know, we're not, we're not sticking needles in people's arms and giving them, you know, fake medicine. Um, we're basically teaching them how to talk. And teaching them how to sit still and, um, teaching them how it's basically what you do when you send a kid to school, you know? So, so it's not harmful even to he- healthy kids and to good to kids who are going to turn out just fine. So, um, this is a battle that we have in, in our field, sort of convincing people that it's a good thing to do. But also the linguistic barriers, you know, also. Yeah, that, oh, yeah. That's, that's absolutely. A major, yeah. Absolutely. That's a whole whole can mm-hmm. of worms unto mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, the socioeconomic, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, factors, you know, it's also um Right. But um I think in a way of uh of working with the locals um if we go region by region, you know, and working with the local the centers that are that are you know nonprofit in my case you know in my country is a lot of nonprofit doing um, but doctor if you in your experience what strategies you know you can 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 address you know these challenges to improve and I'm I'm being I, ideal I, idealistic on this question but I'm just trying to see if we can you sure. know at least. Uh, plant the seed, you know, what strategies can address these challenges, you know, to improve the global outpour and inclusivity in, in your experience or in your, in your perspective? 
Well, I think actually that's a great question. And, um, I think, I think it, it's a, it's a huge marketing problem that we have. Um, part of it has to do with, uh, as you just mentioned, language, language problems. Um, uh, I find, you, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a behavior analyst as well as psychologist. I'm a big believer in ABA. I, I practice it all the time. I think it's the right thing to do, but I have major problems with the language uh, mm-hmm. of ABA. Um, and I think it, 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 it creates problems. It creates problems in English. And then it creates a lot of problems when you try to translate it mm-hmm. into other languages Be- because the terms we use are not friendly and they're not warm and they're not loving. Um, and so we're giving people the wrong impression about what we do, even within the language itself. We say reinforcement. Well, you know what? You don't reinforce people. You reinforce concrete, you know. Um, we, we say extinction when we talk about, you know, getting somebody to stop mm-hmm. doing something. Um, well, you don't, you extinguish fires, you know. You don't extinguish behavior, you know. The, the, the language is problematic on many, many levels. I can give you so many examples of that. Um, and, and we all, oh, even just saying, you know, we, we say things like, well, we call our therapists in the U.S. behavior mm-hmm. technicians. Well, you, you know, we, we want a technician to fix our oven, mm-hmm. our stove, our, mm-hmm. our appliances. We don't want a technician to fix our child, you know. Um, we want somebody to love our children. We want somebody to take care of our children, to nurture them. Those are not words that you find in ABA literature, you know. And I think that's hugely problematic. Um, and so I think I think we shoot ourselves in the foot, um, especially in other cultures, where just because, you know, in the West we tend to worship science. Um, but science is very problematic, and, and people know that on some level. And they don't trust science, rightfully so. Science has hurt a lot of people, you know. Mm-hmm. What they trust, what they trust is trust. They trust trust, they trust relationships, they trust caring, they trust nurturing, they trust all those um, warm, fuzzy things. And when you say, oh, you know, you should, you should, uh, send your child to ABA therapy because it's evidence based and it's scientific. And that's what we do mm-hmm. to promote ourselves. I think, I think mm-hmm. we're turning people off. I think, I don't, you know, I don't want a scientist. I want somebody to tell me maybe if I hold my child, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that. You know, maybe if I love them now and, and, you know, unfortunately you say that to an ABA therapist and they're, they're often going to go, well, love isn't the answer. Well, I, I'm sorry. I don't agree with that. I think love is the answer. And I don't think they even understand that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think, so I think our own profession has a lot of problems. I think if we could, rewrite the vocabulary um, 
we in fact do love our children. We in fact do take care of them. And I think that, um, I think that we don't understand what's actually healing in our field. And I think, um, it is that elements of the relationship. It is the fact that we are, um, joyful, that we are fun, um, to be with, that kids have relationships with us that make them want to do what we ask them to do. And that allows them to learn. And a lot of ABA therapists don't understand that. And that's problematic. I think if we were able to uh, fix ourselves mm-hmm. that way, then we would do better getting the word out um, to parents who are skeptical uh, about what we do. And I think it's very important because at, at some point it, you start doing this connection, you know, and that's what um, the love, the essence of the love, you know, in any, you know, if it's a, it's a health matter, if it's an educational matter, if it's a family matter, I think the essence is going to give you a different perspective because you're connecting with the, with the, with the being, not to, you know, you have to do it. No, it's like the best thing to do in order to get, you know, this whole thing, the whole result as a family, not as an individual, you know, not as a, oh, because it, like you said, it's, it's more of a, 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 a like a, a behavior technician is not a thing that you need to fix. It's a, it's part of the family. So yes, it's the connection of love, but uh, I think, uh, at some point, we're disconnected to our, you know, and, and it starts with, uh, with uh, right. if we go back, it, we are disconnecting ourselves with that. We're, uh, as a, in our daily things, yeah. you know, in our daily um, interactions. So it's important to reconnect, I think, and, and that too, you know, and, and seeing it in a, yeah. in a very, that's, that's my, my um, experience with it, with, uh, with being vulnerable. In, in my own process of understanding and, you know, and reconnecting again with the, um, with the love of uh, understanding the process of my daughter and the process of my family, but also a process for me, you know, as a, as a mother, as a human, to understand how, you know, how important it is to make sure that you're connecting, even though you don't know, because you might have some fear, you know, and, and at the same time you have this... well limited information and limited thoughts that is not giving you, you're not going to have the answers right away. It's a process, you know? So I think um, having the, the, like you said, having this understanding and, and, you know, and being exposed correctly and not only exposed, but feeling and understanding what is the person going through. But then it's very difficult doctor to do it based on internet, you know, based on the TV, based on the, you know, based on the, because it's a different impression. It's a different impression that you have. Oh, I I cannot agree with you more. And I think, I I do want to comment on that. I, I think that what you're saying now about connection is profound. And I think it's perhaps the most important thing to remember. So I want people to hear that. I want people to understand that what you're saying is quite 
kind of essential. It is, it is the foundation of what we do. There is a danger that though needs to be understood too. And it has to do with how we got to the wrong side of the pendulum, which is that what happens sometimes is when you talk about connection, which is the core, there has been a tendency in the past, I'm talking about a long time ago now, um, but it still exists in people's minds, is that as soon as you talk too much about connection, then a lot of parents will blame themselves and say, well, it's my fault that my kid is the way they are because I didn't connect well. And that goes back to the original psychoanalytic problem with autism, which was blaming mothers, um, which is the most insane, most ridiculous thing. And, and um, so uh, we have to be careful in understanding that the cure, which I agree with, the cure of connection is not the cause. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? It's not a lack of connection that created the problem, although it is the solution, mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yeah, totally. I hope that makes sense. I, I agree with you. Yes. Okay. Doctor, okay. it's been a pleasure <laughs> to have you this, and I'm, we're trying to right. wrap up this. Is mm-hmm. there anything um, that you would like to add or share with our audience? I know that so many, you know, there's, we could be here for so many hours, but I just want to wrap it up in a yeah. very important message and a piece of advice that, you know, a certain aspect of autism that you can feel or it's, a, you know, that maybe it's overlooked. I would love to hear your thoughts and, and we can share it to um, to our listeners. Um, wow. Um, you know, uh, I, I, uh, I don't have sage words of advice, but other people do. Um, I remember a famous uh, psychologist who um, was um, actually Jonas Salk, the inventor of the polio vaccine, uh, his brother, um, used to say that he summarized all of his advice to parents um, in one short sentence, which was love them and keep out of their way. Um, I, I love that. Um, I think that, uh, as a behavior analyst, you, you probably won't hear this very often. My, my fundamental view is that loving our children, uh, is the answer, um, and that is what we need to do more than anything, um, and that everything else will come and fall into place. Uh, all we need to do is love. <laughs> that yes. was a beautiful thing. All you need is love. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, we're going to be sharing Dr. Um, Highville's um, um, social media and information in case you want to 
contact him or if you have any questions. And thank you to our listeners that join us today on TIK Radio. And uh, your feedback is invaluable to us, and we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Thank you, Doctor, again for being here. It's my pleasure. Have a beautiful day. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. 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 And until the next live, TIK Radio.